Amen. Let me mention a couple of announcements before we begin a worship service. One of them is um, uh, our beloved elder Andy is finished with his mission in Montana, believe it or not. I told him um, he was just very efficient. He thinks he got kicked out. But in any case, whatever it might be, uh, we're, we should see him soon. So he moved the school to where it needed to be moved to and, and so forth. And uh, any case, and so accomplished that, and that's good. So a couple weeks traveling back, getting things in order, you may see him again. So sort of like the cat that just keeps coming around, right? But anyway, will we... What's that? Well, he is bringing Gail, so that's really what ultimately matters. So, in any case, but take that off the recording so he can't hear that part. In any case, um, uh, any case, uh, so uh, we look forward to that and and be be in prayer for them as they travel and get some things in order uh, to be able to do that. We did expect them to be back at some point, not this soon, and so we're thankful because I have really. Uh, missed uh, his ministry here, and so um, that uh, that's a great thing. Uh, also, by way of announcements, let me also mention that um, we had a missionary that was supposed to talk to us last week, but technical difficulties kept that from happening, and so, Lord willing, we'll have uh, Sonny Simak, I think is his name, from uh, London, to be with us uh, this Wednesday uh, on the Zoom, 645. So if you don't get the email, let me know. Send it out. Uh, you can hear what's going on there. So be in prayer for him and his ministry. And I really don't know much about him other than he's an anchored in truth missionary. And uh, well, I'd like to find out what's going on. And so I hope you do too. And so that'll round out our missions uh, 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 efforts here uh, as we're doing in the month of uh, uh, July and August, and uh, we will thank. I want to thank you for your uh, gifts uh, to the missionaries that you have designated. Uh, we will be giving them a substantial gift again uh, for uh, Anchored in Truth in this month, and also prepare for and uh, Christmas time during the month of December. We typically take an offering for missions. A special offering then as well, so keep that in mind. Um, I think that's all the announcements I, I had. Oh, one other is I just thought about too. Thank you, Gordon, for leading us in this biblical doctrines class and our ministry training um, class that we're doing. It's Sunday morning at 9:45. We're going through uh, systematic, or you can think of topical theology uh, through, and we have a great resource and if you need a textbook I didn't bring one with me here but I do have some more if you need one we would like for you to be a part of that and um, it's it would uh, uh, it would be a great thing to do uh, and we had a good turnout this morning that was great and I want to encourage you to be a part of it even if you can't make it to every session that's fine make it to those that you can uh, it will be very helpful in each a lesson will be a unit in of itself, and part of it is just to introduce you to a good resource that you indeed will um, want to uh, use in, f in uh, the future days. Let me um, go ahead and begin, and um, 
be sure to also pay attention to the fighter verses that we put out each week in your schedule. I'll read this one um, after you're done praying. I want to give you a moment to prepare your heart to worship Christ today. So I'll be silent and you can pray privately and then I'll read the scripture and then pray for us corporately. Let's go ahead and go to the Lord in prayer. Now this I know, the Lord gives victory to his anointed. He answers him from his heavenly sanctuary with victorious power of his right hand. Some trust in chariots and some in horses. But we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They are brought to their knees and fall. But we rise up and stand firm. Oh, Father, we stand firm today in solidarity with this psalm. I pray that your people would truly recognize that you indeed give the victory. The victory of your anointed one, Jesus Christ, who you have granted us to be united in this beloved one. It is in Christ, in your anointed, in the Messiah, the very Lord Jesus Christ, in which we gather today, remembering the resurrection, the triumph over death, the triumph over sin, the triumph over suffering, the triumph over evil, triumph over everything that is stands against you, demonstrated in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I pray for your people, your anointed, your beloved in Christ, that our faith would be increased in you in great ways. I pray, Father, that the world, although it may at times seem to be totally falling apart, I pray that our trust would not be in those things and we would not be easily deterred by the circumstances of life, whether um, uh, it's, it's happening here close to us or uh, abroad, uh, great disappointment in various things of, of, uh, that, that might be going on in our day. But we trust in you. We trust totally in you. We know that great judgment will befall those that are in rebellion against you. And so may we stand firm and recognize this truth have a certain heart of compassion to call people to find their refuge in the only sure safety that is indeed you. May we proclaim Christ and him crucified for the forgiveness of sin. May we stand though we might be mocked and ridiculed by uh, the culture in our day, but may the truth ring forth. I pray for each one of these little ones, these children who have been blessed to be among your people, to hear the good news of Jesus Christ, 
I pray that the seeds would be rooted firmly in their soul. I pray that it will be watered and planted, encouraged to grow by those saints among them. And I pray that you will raise up many, many sons and daughters who will call you and confess Jesus Christ as Lord. I pray that you would give us a, a great day of joy, bring to our mind these great truths as we sing, as we pray, as we read your scripture, and as we proclaim those truths. We pray that Christ indeed would be magnified in all we do. May we hear indeed from Christ this day ways that will be appropriate to our various needs both now and forevermore. Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen. Good morning. Let's take our hymn books and stand together and sing number 663. O church, arise and put your armor on. Hear the call of Christ our captain. 663.
turn to 331. 331. Spirit of God, descend upon my heart. If we live by the Spirit, we must also follow the Spirit. Galatians 5, 25. Be seated. Amen. I thought I'd take a moment to call the church to pray specifically for uh, the persecuted church, and I'm going to lead you in a prayer where I will um, say in our time of prayer what a phrase or statement to pray for, and then I'm asking you to pray where you're at. You can pray audibly if you'd like, uh, silently, however God would lead you, but collectively together as a church for each subject line. This is brought about really um, persecution of the church has uh, continued throughout the world, uh, really from the very beginning, 
And so it's helpful to be reminded of that from time to time, particularly with the events going on in Afghanistan. Um, it's, it's tough, it's, it's difficult um, for sure. And um, if the reports are true that we're hearing, it's, it's pretty abominable what uh, is occurring, not just the political f folly and chaos in, in uh, decisions that were made, um, it, and, and to think about uh, humanity, I, I can't imagine um, what it must be like for um, a, a little girl or a young or a lady in, in Afghanistan to be facing um, punishment by having uh, her face mutilated. Um, children as well growing up in that. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's an evil thing of humanity. And God's people will be um, singled out in a unique way there that, that hasn't occurred for about 20 years. I, I can't even watch the videos of, um, I was telling Blake earlier, that of, um, of these parents throwing their children across barbed wire fences to save their life. It's just devastating. This isn't the only place things like that happen. There is great evil in this world. And Christ will bring about a great judgment to them. So, uh, vengeance is the Lord. And you would not want to attack any of these little ones. You will stand before Christ. So we'll pray. We'll pray for the church in particular there, as well as in other areas of the world in which the church is persecuted in great way. I, I, Jerry told us that uh, apparently one of the things this new terrorist regime is doing is um, looking for those that might have any association with Christ, Bible app on their phone, for example, or just other indications that they indeed might be Christians so that they can kill them, behead them, hang them, whatever they might do. Our text today so we don't trust in, in horses or powers, of course not, because the foolish people in our country sent the terrorists a memo, said don't do that, be nice people. Um, where do you send a letter to a terrorist anyway? Dear terrorists, Afghanistan, and do they even have a zip code? Um, it's just insane. But we don't need to be discouraged because as one of the, um, one of the fathers of the church said to Telly, in the best I can recall, he said that the, that the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. The gates of hell cannot prevail against Christ's church. So we have great compassion on suffering and the challenges that humanity might be under in the auspices of those that are absolutely evil and wicked. But you can be assured of this, that Christ is still king. He is still sovereign, and he is still building his church, even in a dark and difficult place like this. So we should pray for them. And I talked briefly on Wednesday because we had to change our schedule a little bit uh, from when I thought about this persecution in particular, as it's just brought in the news because of what's going on. It reminded me of the church at Smyrna that Christ 
wrote a memo too. <laughs> we have that memo, it's right there, Revelation chapter two. The Church of Smyrna was a persecuted church, and I may re-mention this again because it really kind of goes with um, what we're talking about in John 18 here in just a bit. But to the Church of Smyrna, Jesus um, tells them that I know your tribulation. And I would want us to pray that for the church right now in, Smyr in uh, Afghanistan and North Korea and wherever else, that might be under great persecution, that in, they need to know that Jesus knows what's going on. The, the, they are not abandoned. They're not alone. Jesus said, I'll be with you until the end of the age. And he will be with the Christians that are indeed there. And it looks like great persecution is going to befall them, but they need to know that Christ is with them. And because of that, they're not to fear, as Christ would say in this letter to the church of Smyrna, they're at the synagogue of Satan, and you'll see that demonstrated clearly. But he says, don't fear about what you're going to suffer. How are you not going to fear? Because you're in Christ. He tells them that the devil is going to throw them in prison, that they might be attested for 10 days. You have tribulation. And he calls them then to be faithful unto death. And he'll give a crown of life. Great victory in Jesus Christ. And the question is, he who has the ear to hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. So it may be difficult, disappointing, despairing in their circumstances, but Christ promises eternal life. They can never be taken away. What a great promise and what a great encouragement. I think we as a church should pray for their encouragement, that they would have an ear to hear what the Spirit says to the church. And may we learn from it as well, should our day of tribulation come. Let me lead you in a, in a prayer, and I'll mention a, a phrase that I want you to pray about or concept. You pray silently, or you can do it audibly right where you're at, however you wish, collectively as a church. And, and then I'll close. I'll say about four things that relate to this word of Christ to the church. Let us pray. Father, we are praying for our brothers and sisters in Christ in the persecuted church. The first thing we want them to hear from Christ is that he indeed knows their tribulation and their slander. Second thing, Lord, we pray that they would not fear, but have faith in Christ. It's your church praying for our brothers and sisters in Christ. We pray that they will be faithful unto death.
And finally, Lord, we pray that they would have the joy to see the face of Christ, recognizing they will not be hurt by the second death. Father, we seal these prayers. You will take them. You will hear them. Hear the pleading of our heart through the Spirit to your people. I pray, Father, that indeed the church would be strong in Christ, in Christ alone. I pray that we might learn from those experiences and the lessons take great joy in the privileges that we have and not take them for granted, but trust in Christ even more. Give us courage, give us conviction, give us faith, not fear. I pray that you'll give us great faithfulness. I pray the church in our country would quit playing around, but preach Christ and live for Christ to live for Christ and recognize that dying is gain. We have no death wish. We have great compassion on those people that are hurting and suffering. But our compassion doesn't exceed yours. And so may be reminded about Jesus Christ who knows every tribulation, who has walked in our very shoes and has a purpose even in this great evil. I pray that the glory of Christ would be magnified even brighter against the darkness of those who reject Jesus Christ. Your word has flourished across the land, every tribe, every nation, every tongue. And I pray it would be even more known in true repentance and faith among peoples in persecuted lands. I pray, Father, that Christ would be exalted, and even on this Lord's Day, that those that are in Christ, regardless of whatever circumstance they might find themselves in, would you give them and grant them the joy in Christ Jesus, the peace of Christ Jesus, and the love of Christ, which from which we will never be separated. And it is in only his name we pray. Amen. Let's stand again and turn in our hymn books to number 654, A Christian Home. Will give us homes built firm upon the Savior. 654. the creed. 
Let's turn to number 258, Blessed Redeemer. And he, bearing his cross, went forth into a place called the place of a skull, John 19, 17. 258, Blessed Redeemer.
Good morning, church. What a great day to praise the Lord, even in dark times. This morning, we're going to be reading Psalm chapter 68. If you don't have your Bible this morning, that's going to be page 481 in your pew Bible. Psalm chapter 68, page 481 in the Pew Bible. Before we get started, uh, I just thought of another scripture as, as Wayne was talking and kind of what I've thought about all week is we've seen the carnage and whatnot on television and through the news. Um, but uh, in all that we do, always point to the work of Christ. The gospel of Christ is the most powerful message in the world. And it's all that can change the hearts of men. Monetary aid, military weapons, everything else. Nothing is more powerful than the gospel of Jesus Christ. I love Colossians 1, 13 and 14. And we all know this is a paralleled verse from, from Ephesians 1. But I, I love uh, just the comfort in this. Um, Colossians 1, 13 and 14. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption the forgiveness of sins. One more time. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Let's read uh, Psalms chapter 68. Um, I'll just read MacArthur's quick note because I can't say it better than him. Um, this exuberant psalm includes prayer, praise, thanksgiving, historical reminder, and imprecation. It expresses a pride in Jehovah God for, the, for his care over his people and his majesty in the universe. 
The writing of this psalm may have come out of David's jubilant restoration of the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem in 2 Samuel chapter 6, verses 12 through 15. Let's read the Word of God. Psalm chapter 68. To the choir master, a psalm of David, a song. God shall arise, his enemies shall be scattered, and those who hate him shall flee before him. As smoke is driven away, so you shall drive them away. As wax melts before fire, so the wicked shall perish before God. But the righteous shall be glad. They shall exult before God. They shall be jubilant with joy. Sing to God. Sing praises to his name. Lift up a song to him who rides through the deserts. His name is the Lord. Exult before him. Father of the fatherless and protector of widows is God in his holy habitation. God settles the solitary in a home. He leads out the prisoners to prosperity, but the rebellious dwell in a parched land. O God, when you went out before your people, when you marched through the wilderness, Salah, the earth quaked, the heavens poured down rain before God, the one of Sinai, before God, the God of Israel. Rain in abundance, O God, you shed abroad. You restored your inheritance as it languished. Your flock found a dwelling in it. In your goodness, O God, you provided for the needy. The Lord gives the word. The women who announce the news are a great host. The kings of the armies, they flee, they flee. The women at home divide the spoil. Though you men lie among the sheepfolds, the wings of a dove covered with silver, its pinions and shimmering its pinions with shimmering gold. When the Almighty scatters kings there, let snow fall on Zalman. A mountain of God, mountain of Bashan, O many peaked mountain, many mountain of Bashan. Why do you look with hatred, O many peaked mountain, at the mount that God desired for his abode? Yes, where the Lord will dwell forever? The chariots of God are twice ten thousand, thousands upon thousands. The Lord is among them. Sinai is now the sanctuary, in the sanctuary. You ascended on high, leading a host of captives in your train and receiving gifts among men, even among the rebellious, that the Lord God may dwell there. Blessed be the Lord who daily bears us up. God is our salvation. Silah. Our God is a God of salvation, and to God the Lord belong deliverances from death. But God will strike the heads of his enemies, the hairy crown of him who walks in his guilty ways. The Lord said, I will bring them back from Bashan. I will bring them back from the depths of the sea, that you may strike your feet in their blood, that the tongues of your dogs may have their portion from the foe. Your procession is seen, O God, the procession of my God, my King, into the sanctuary. The singers in the front, the musicians last, between them virgins playing tambourines. Bless God in the great congregation, the Lord, O you who are Israel's fountain. There is Benjamin, the least of them, in the lead, the princes of Judah in their throng, the princes of Zebulun, 
the princes of Naphtali. Summon your power, O God, the power, O God, by which you have worked for us. Because your temple at Jerusalem, kings shall bear great gifts to you. Rebuke the beasts that dwell among the reeds, the herd of the bulls with the calves of the people. Trample underfoot those who lust after tribute. Scatter the peoples who delight in war. Nobles shall come from Egypt. Cush shall hasten to stretch out her hands to God. O kingdoms of the earth, sing to God. Sing praises to the Lord, Salah. To him who rides in the heavens, the ancient heavens, behold, he sets out his voice, his mighty voice. Ascribe power to God, whose majesty is over Israel and whose power is in the skies. Awesome is God from his sanctuary, the God of Israel. He is the one who gives power and strength to his people. Blessed be God. Let us pray together. Father, we thank you for the many blessings, once again, that you've given us today, God, that we don't reserve. We don't deserve any of the blessings because we're totally depraved in our sin, but for Christ. We thank you, Lord, for the sound of children in the church. God, we pray for our children today. Lord, we pray for their salvation, Lord, that we may preach and live the word faithfully to our children, Lord. Help us to set godly examples that glorify Christ and points our children to repentance in Jesus Christ. Lord, in all things that we do in the business place, the marketplace, the home place, uh, in front of unsaved family members, unsaved friends, let us point every, everyone to Christ. Let us see a set-apart people, set apart from this world, who don't live for this world, but for the world to come. God, help us to be servants, Lord, in this task, in every aspect of our lives, in serving others that we're showing them the gospel of Christ, servants of one another in the church, servants at home and servants at work. Lord, help us to hate our sin more every day. Lord, sanctify our hearts. Help us to come more like Christ daily. We thank you, Lord, for a church, again, that desires sound teaching and admonition in your word. We ask, Lord, that you continue to bring about more brothers and sisters who desire holiness and have a hunger to learn in your word. We desire, Lord, today to exalt your name. We ask, Lord, that you open our hearts and minds. Lord, first in worship and song as we've done, but most of all through the preaching of your word. Help us to capture the message today from the pastor and think about it weekly, all week long. Lord, give us the strength and the desire to dig into your word more than just on Sundays. We ask, Lord, that you break hard hearts today. Save anyone, Lord, that doesn't know Christ here. Lord, give us strength and give us opportunity this week to proclaim the gospel in the home place again in the workplace, or in the marketplace. We ask, Lord, that you bless the offering. Lord, that you help us to use it wisely and guide us in its application that every penny goes to glorify your name alone. Give us strength this week, Lord, that we pray and ask all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.
you, Amber. Invite you to turn your copy of God's Word to John chapter 18. John chapter 18. We're going to do the second part of what we left off last week, the Victor's Cup, I call it. And here we'll focus on the protection of Christ. When you go through a narrative like this, it's not didactic teaching, it's not systematic in that sense either. This is a narrative. And so we've got to read through this account and then deduce some concepts that are here. And I hope you can see it from the text. That's what we'll focus on. So it's hard for me sometimes to have it precisely structured as to where we'll end off. And so we'll just see how that goes and I'll see how much we can get in there. But I do want to draw you to the text itself. And we'll look at chapter 18 (coughs) and verses 1 through 11 for context. The parallel to this account you'll find in Matthew 26, Mark 14, and Luke 22. I introduced this last week by saying that these other Gospels help add additional information. Uh, There is some overlap, but that each Gospel has a stronger emphasis on one thing or the other. Here, primarily in the Gospel of John, John is driven to emphasize the divinity of Jesus Christ. It isn't that the other Gospels don't. It's just that that's um, much more of a theme in John. He really wants to emphasize that particular truth. Christ's glory in his divine nature. In all of the Gospels, you're going to see both the humanity and the deity of Jesus. John's greater emphasis, and you'll see the humanity here, but it's greater emphasis on the divinity and really why it explains some of the differences when, for example, only here in the Gospel of John does it have this particular account that when the arrest came for Jesus, Jesus spoke and announced, verse 6, I am, the statement that he indeed is divine, he is God, their reaction was, rightfully so, to stumble backwards. John records this response. It's not uh, that the other writers didn't know about it. There were many things that went on, in fact, much more than even is described here. But each Writer has a specific emphasis or purpose. Here, John's showing his, the divinity of Christ. If you remember chapter 21 and verse 30, 25, I'll read it for you. Uh, John concludes, there are also many other things Jesus did. So he doesn't record them all. <laughs> From the Western mindset, sometimes we think, oh, you've got to include every single thing. No, there's many, many, many more things that Christ did. And he says, were every one of them to be written, I suppose the world itself could not contain the books that would be written, (laughs) right? So it is selective in that sense. It is sufficient. 
it is sufficient for what we need. John would also say in chapter 20, remember the purpose here. These things are written. What? There's many other things, but these, these things that are actually written, John 20, 31, is that, and here's the most thing, important thing, so that you would believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, that's the title of divinity. He is the Messiah, that is the Savior, the Deliverer, that's what Christ means. The Son of God, that he is a divine, he is God. And then by believing that, that is having faith in him, you will have life in his name. Can I tell you this? There is life in no other name. But Jesus Christ is why we must proclaim it. And the fact that people reject it, rebel against it, as they did here, it doesn't matter. Life is only in Christ. He is the only God. He is the only Savior. And the sufficient communication of that is, are these very words that are written before you. You could be the most gifted person in knowledge. But if you don't know that Jesus is the Christ, that he is indeed the sovereign God of the universe, that he is King of kings and Lord of lords, then it's not going to be very well for your soul. There's no greater pursuit in life than to know Christ and the power of his resurrection, which we celebrate every Lord's Day. must be united with him in his death so that you may be raised to walk in newness of life. In our narrative account, we're going to look at John's account, what he has written sufficiently that you might see that, specifically in what we would call the betrayal and arrest of Jesus Christ. And we will note his sovereign authority as Savior and God woven through the fabric of this narrative. Let me read it for you. John chapter 18, beginning verse 1. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples across the book Kidron. This is when he's finished his private to the disciples and his high priestly prayer. They went out across this brook Kidron where there was a garden which he and his disciples entered. Now, Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place for Jesus had often met there with his disciples. So Judas, having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, Who do you seek? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. And when Jesus said to them, I am, they drew back and fell to the ground. So he asked them again, 
Whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus answered, I told you that I am. So if you seek me, let these men go. This was to fill, fulfill the word that he had spoken of those whom you have you gave me, I have lost not one. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? Let us pray. Father, I do pray that we would hear and heed the words of Christ today. That indeed we would <clears throat> grow in our faith and knowledge that Jesus Christ is indeed the Savior and the Sovereign. And I pray that he would be increasingly treasured in our hearts. Bring about faith to those who don't have faith. And strengthen our faith for those who do. I pray in Christ's name. Amen. I hope you notice from the text of this narrative here that we're reminded of the sovereign power of Christ. It begins, really, he, he knows all things, it says. Judas is mentioned here. This is not a surprise to him that he would go to this garden, bring his disciples with him, and that Judas would show up. He knows that Judas is going to betray him. We went through that last week. He knew that the religious authorities were out to get him as well, to arrest him. Verse 4, he knowing that, knowing all that would happen to him. Why? Because he is the sovereign God of the universe. Of course he knows. He's God. From a divine perspective, all of this has been determined from the very foundation of the world. Now, Judas, in his heart, rebellious against Christ, desired to do this. The people that were with him to arrest Christ wanted to do this as well. They're not forced to do evil. This comes naturally from their heart. But God in his decree has ordained and purposed even this very thing, perhaps the worst evil, well, not perhaps, I think it is, the worst evil ever anyone can imagine where the Lord of glory is betrayed, God incarnate is betrayed, God incarnate is uh, tortured, God incarnate is killed. Nothing greater evil than that very thing. And yet God has a purpose in that evil. And might I say this, even though you may not know, he has a purpose for all that come to pass. There are no accidents in that sense. Incidents. God's not responsible for evil. These Wicked men, as we see this, the devil inspiring all of this in an unholy alliance. They have nothing on Christ. 
There's no real tension here in this arrest and betrayal between good and evil. I don't want you to think of it that way either. God is sovereign over it all and has a purpose. In this, this is this very purpose. Why? That Jesus Christ right here being betrayed, being arrested, being uh, tortured, being lied about, slandered, falsely accused, convicted in an illegal trial, all the injustice wrapped up, all of it has a purpose. What's the purpose? Jesus specifically came to destroy the very works of the devil. These very works. It is the word of Christ. Evil will not be destroyed. As their brother mentioned here, by policy, by writing a little memo to evil men. It won't be destroyed by politics as much as we would like to get insane people out of politics. That's not going to fix the problem. The powers of men are not going to accomplish the destruction of evil. Can I tell you what will? Jesus Christ, and that's it, him alone. I was thinking about Martin Luther's hymn that he wrote. And this phrase is in it about one little word. And a lot of people have scratched their head about it. As far as I know, Luther didn't expound on what that word is. You know the hymn. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fell him. What's that word? I've heard some say, well, that's, that's God's grace. It's the name of Jesus. It's scripture. I read an interesting article from somebody who said, it's the declaration that the devil is indeed a liar, which is the truth, which Christ would. I think all of those are appropriate. And here I'm not going to, I don't have any um, inspired statement concerning this. But when I read it and sing it and think through it, you know what word I think about? The word that Jesus gives right here in verse 6 when he says, I am. That little word, the fact that Jesus is the sovereign God of the universe. He indeed is the Savior of the world. It is Christ who would destroy the very works of the devil by the very power of his word. Judas was filled with Satan. The demonic horde of men gathered around him, nearly a thousand in number, I would estimate. All of them fell backwards at one little word, I am. The truth of which unleashed holds more power than a chain of atoms splitting before us. It's an explosive word. In the beginning was the word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. When Jesus says, I am, that's the Word I see. That Word above all earthly powers. 
No thanks to them abideth because they would destroy it, but they can't. The spirit and the gifts are ours through him who with us sideth. That I am. Let goods and kindred go then, our response, this mortal life also, the body they may kill, the truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. I hope you know the power of Christ. See, that's why it takes me so long to preach a sermon. I get caught up in it, and I hope you do too. This power of Christ has a conquering aspect in that, and I want you to know, he will destroy the works of the devil. Whatever suffering or whatever pain you might be going through, whatever disappointment, Christ has come to destroy the very works of the devil. Put your trust in him. But, it, but in so doing, in this accomplishment, in this very narrative, I hope you also see the protection that he has for his beloved who are his saints. A unique protection and care even in the midst of accomplishing all of this. And I might put an added statement here, and that is, beloved, if, friend, if you are not in Christ, you don't have any hope. If you're in Christ, you have the care of the one who holds all things by the little word of his power. And I hope you're encouraged by that. Notice, we'll drop down. That was kind of a quick overview of last week. We'll drop down to verse 9 in our text. He makes a statement about the protection of those that have been given to him by the Father. And what he says in the sequence of what's going on here, notice verse 9. This was to fulfill the word that he had spoken. And what word did he speak? Of those whom you gave me, I have lost not one. What's he talking about? He asked them specifically, this horde, a crowd of demonic influenced people, satanically influenced, specifically states with Judas, Jesus goes out to confront them, and notice verse 4, before this dramatic display of his power, he asks them the question we might have forgotten. It says, whom do you seek? Do you see that? Verse 4. Verse 7, he has to repeat it. <laughs> I can imagine they're a bit shocked <laughs> at the say the very least. They fell backwards to the ground after his disclosure that indeed he is the great I am. And so he asked them one more time, whom do you seek? And they repeated. They seek a single man. Notice here, it is Jesus of Nazareth. This single man. They pick themselves up the ground. They, they clear their head. They, Jesus gives them a minute to respond, and they clearly respond. In so doing so, in this manner, 
He has them declare their very purposes for being there. Again, I, I imagine about a thousand people. Well, why are they there and what are they to do? They are to come and get one person to Jesus and Jesus only. By doing this, he causes them to look at their legal standing of what they were intending to do there, not arrest the other 11 that were with him, but for Jesus Christ alone. And here in the midst of all this, from our perspective, chaos and confusion, you've got a thousand people laying on the ground. There's one person that knows what's going on and is instrumental then in still providing care for his disciples as he has them identify the charge, the charges against Jesus and Jesus alone. Look at verse 8 to clarify where I'm going with that. He says, um, I told you that I am he. So, if you seek me, let these men go. He's in charge. He's directing them. He's asking them in our modern vernacular might be, okay, pull out your search warrant. What's written on it? It's just me. He protects his disciples. This overwhelming mob of people, this great force for this one man, it isn't just any man, as we mentioned, it is the Son of Man, Son of God, Jesus the Lord. But he is in control of the whole thing and presents himself for his arrest. He will not allow his disciples to be arrested at this time. Why? Verse 9, it is to fulfill the word that he had spoken of those whom you gave me, I have lost not one. The promise of Jesus to his disciples is that they would be protected. I'll read you a few verses that we've been through, just quickly to highlight them. John six thirty nine. This is your will. I should lose nothing of all that he has given me. John 10, 28. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. John 17, 12. He kept them in their name. He's guarding them and not, quote, not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction that the scriptures might be fulfilled. Jesus has promised his disciples that they would not be lost, that they would not be destroyed. He's not referring to their physical well-being. He is talking about their spiritual sense. They would not be destroyed spiritually. In this case, he does spare them from their physical persecution. They're not arrested. They're not thrown in jail. And I can only conclude for this, this is so that the scriptures would be fulfilled. Why? So that they would not lose their eternal life. They weren't ready to be arrested at this time. Their faith wasn't strong enough to be arrested. At this point, without the intervention of Jesus Christ... 
Now, this is hypothetical because it's not going to happen, but see if this works in your mind as we're thinking through this. Without Jesus' direct intervention right here, where he protects his disciples from being arrested, without this, it would have resulted in a loss of faith. The scriptures would not have been fulfilled. God is about orchestrating all events that go on, even this particular arrest. And in this specific case, they are spared from this physical arrest, if you will, so that they will not lose their faith. Jesus is always interceding on the behalf of his beloved. And Jesus' beloved will do the same for you. You find yourself in harm's way. Jesus will intercede for you so that you do not lose your faith. That's what ultimately matters. You may suffer. You may have great and severe temporal loss. But if you're in Christ... You will endure spiritually to the end because he will protect you. It's clear here in this circumstance. But can I tell you, for you not to lose your faith is a greater thing than to protect you from being arrested, right? He wanted to demonstrate that he could forgive sin, so he does something easy. You know what's easy? Telling a man to get up who's paralyzed, who has never at least in years and years and years and would have muscles that atrophy he can say get up and walk and not only walk but carry your bed around with you that's easy forgiving sin is hard Christ can forgive sin sparing from temporal loss is, is, is easy Eternal loss, this is great. We, 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 we are so concerned about our temporal loss, and I don't mean to minimize those of you who might be suffering various types of loss. This is great. But can I tell you the great gain that you have in Christ? He will never let you perish. And anything you lose in this life won't even compare. No, no wonder Luther can sing, Right? Let goods and kindred go this mortal life also. Right? Do you have Christ? What, what, what do you have in Christ? Oh, I don't know. All the riches of eternal, of, of, of heaven? What more would you want? A place where those things could not be destroyed? Christ protects his own. And I think we get a glimpse of it here that even in this life, there are constantly things that he has ordained and decreed, things that will not overcome you, not so much to spare you from temporal loss, but from eternal damnation. You may be familiar with it. Um, If you want to turn there, we'll look at, I think we'll turn to... um, Go ahead and turn. I'd rather you see with your eyes Romans 8.35 if you wish. But I'll read for you a familiar passage from 1 Corinthians 10 before we can get there. Before we get there. 1 Corinthians 10. Paul will teach this theology, if you will, in 1 Corinthians 10.13. You might be familiar with it. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. 
So you're not getting the worst in the world. Other people have experienced that too. It's not just you. No pity party here. But what to note, God is what? Faithful and he will not allow you to be tempted beyond your ability. I think in this circumstance in John, they would have been tempted beyond their ability. We, we, we just couldn't imagine the circumstance that these guys were in at that time that had only been around Christ, been around him three years, and now everything's collapsing around them. If he doesn't protect them, they're going to lose their faith, but he does protect them. And you can be assured he's going to protect you. You're not going to lose your faith. You're not going to be tempted beyond your ability. What ability would you have? That in Christ you would be secure. Instead, he will with that in temptation also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. The escape, the power is Christ. It's the power of the Spirit. And so here, the believer doesn't need to be anxious for everything, but take everything by prayer and supplication to God. You don't need to live in a world of despondency, but instead look to Christ. That's how you're going to endure it. He will carry whatever burden it is that you might have. And beloved, he is not going to allow you to go through something beyond the ability by which your faith can endure because he will see that it happens. What a beautiful thing. This is why people last and endure. And I'll tell you what, it makes it easier for me for a preacher, if you will. I don't have to sit there and beat the congregation into any kind of submission. I don't have to be fearful that you're going to lose your faith because Christ will take care of you. I just preach Christ and him crucified for the forgiveness of sin. I just call you to look to Christ. Yeah, I might, the means by which your faith is going to endure is by knowing him. It's what we're going through in this systematic theology class so that you would know more about God. Here's something that you ought to know about him. I don't care how hard or how difficult it might be, including for these poor souls, our brothers and sisters, that we have great compassion that are under great threat even this hour in distant lands. Did you turn to Romans 8, 35? Because this is what I want to be on your heart more than anything else. Here's Paul talking about the love of Christ. Do you know the love of Christ? Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or sword... As is written, for your sake, we're being killed all the day long. We're regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in the in all in in all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. 
For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation is able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. What a great message. Do you know the love of Christ? It transcends all of these distresses. Yes, this, this is an awful and terrible situation, but none of that is going to separate you from Christ. Jesus is about keeping his beloved. Described as the great shepherd in John chapter 10 and his beloved as sheep in that analogy. It says, my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. That's what a disciple is. I give to them eternal life and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. You couldn't get any better hand than that. And if you're not so sure, here is a double security. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. And he declares here this, I am he. I am. All of this, this protection of the saints in this time that we see here is indeed that they would be protected from losing their faith. He says in verse 9, back in our text in 18, of those you've given me, that's those that are in Christ, given by the Father, I have not lost one. And he never will. We already alluded to this, and I think I'll have to finish up on this point here. And just to remind you that this doesn't mean that you're going to be removed from every potential physical harm. In fact, dear church, I would charge us and cause us to recognize that we must go through many tribulations in this life. And here, if you're back in the Gospel of John, flip back a couple chapters, and you remember this passage where Jesus, here in the upper room, this is prior to this event here in 18. This is part of his teaching. After he says these things, he goes out. What was one of the things he said? I have said these things to you, John 16, verse 33 that in me you might have peace. That's the goal, and that's where you're going to find peace and security is in one refuge, and that is in Christ. And then he points it out, in the world you're going to have tribulation. See the difference? Tribulation versus peace. We want peace. Everyone wants peace. You know where to find it? It's Jesus Christ. In him, you're going to have peace. In the world in which you live, you're going to have tribulation. You're going to have these things. Tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, and a sword. 
maybe even feel like you're killed all day long as sheep to be slaughtered. But you're not. You're Christ's sheep. And so he talks to his disciples and tells them this. He knows what's going to betake him. He says, take heart. I've overcome the world. It is a victory in Christ. This is the one who would drink the cup of wrath. He has overcome the world. All of those who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer some form of persecution. It may vary from place to place, for sure, and time to time. But you will suffer persecution. In our country, we've had the privilege of being spared a great degree of persecution that our brothers and sisters in Christ and other parts of the world are not being spared. This whole circumstance in Afghanistan is a solemn reminder of what it means to live as a Christian in a satanic world. And we should pray for them and be in solidarity, but we pray not as those without hope. We have hope in Christ. And we'll pray for their strength that Christ will protect them. You know what he'll protect them from? Losing their faith, and that's what matters ultimately. I don't want to see harm to anyone. I can't even look at it. I can't bear the pain of it. But I tell you this, that Christ knows. We read that passage in Revelation about the persecuted church in Smyrna. If you read about the first um, few hundred years of the church under Rome, uh, that was awful what, what occurred. They would go to people's houses, knock on doors, and see if they had a Bible. And if they did, they'd kill them all. Can't hardly get people to look at the Bible today. We don't know what we have. These people died and hid it, made copies of it, risked their life to make a copy of it. And Christ says, don't fear. Why are you not going to fear that knock on the door? Because Christ knows. And the call then is to trust him and to be faithful and to recognize that he's going to give you the crown of life. You may bear a cross in this life. Christ did. In fact, every one of these disciples that he protected from this arrest, they would be arrested when it's time. Every one of them. Everyone save John died a martyr's death soon. At this moment, apparently, we can conclude that they weren't they weren't ready. They might have lost their faith. But in time, they would. And they would be faithful. And they each one would be faithful unto death. And they knew that they would not be hurt by the second death, which is the wrath of God poured out on those that are in rebellion against him because they are in Christ. Christ drank the cup 
of the wrath of God to the dregs, and they therefore will not be hurt by it. Christ was hurt. He really was. He suffered, and he died. But beloved, I can assure you this right now, that he rose from the dead. And if you're in Christ, you will too. And there is nothing in this temporal life which will hold a candle to that. You will never be separated from the love of God in Christ Jesus. These men never were, and all disciples of Jesus Christ will never be separated from his love. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we do pray that you will give us great faith to truly believe that who Jesus really is. Not just a theological statement, but a great truth. May we have great faith. May we know that Christ is the sovereign God of the universe. And may we take refuge in him and him alone. And recognize that you have a purpose even in all the evil that befalls us so we might not be discouraged. But have peace in Jesus Christ and him alone who has indeed conquered all, overcome the world. I pray our faith in him will increase. For those that are outside of Christ, I pray whether hearing my voice in days ahead on, on a rebroadcast of this or even here among us now, I pray that you'll bring many sons and daughters to confess Jesus Christ as Lord. In his name I pray, amen. Let me give you a moment now to think on these things. Respond to Christ directly the way he has spoken to you today. Take a moment now. Father, I pray that you would give us great trust and faith in Christ and Christ alone. In his name we pray, amen. I've chosen a familiar song, and I'd like for us to do a responsive reading in it, if you will. I'll lead that, and Jerry will come and then have us sing. This is, you know, the Bible talks about psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. This is kind of a spiritual song, thinking about the victory that is in Christ Jesus, 449, if you'll stand, 449. You will be the, if you'll look at the top of that page, there's a responsive reading. You 
can read out the worshipers in bold, and I'll read out the worship leader, and then we'll go right in to sing uh, this first line, Victory in Jesus. For this is what love for God is, to keep his commands. Now his commands are not burdens, because whatever has been born of God conquers the world. In all these things, we are more than victorious through him who loved us. What are we then to say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He did not spare even his own son, but offered him up for us all. How will he not also with him grant us everything? Thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through Jesus, Jesus Christ. this reason, I bless you in the name of the Lord, that the Lord may make you worthy of his calling and fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power. May the name of the Lord Jesus Christ be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and our Lord Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. You're dismissed.